Thank you, Emmy. Well, I have the privilege of preaching today with all the kids around, so bear with me. Um, yeah, so as we look at this passage, 1 Kings 22, you know, it reminds me a lot about our situation today for we live in a very confused world. It's an understatement to say that our world is confused today in matters of truth. You know, it's hard to imagine what is true morality, what is truth, because it seems that we are constantly changing the narrative of what is right and what is wrong. We're constantly changing these things based on what? Based on ourselves, based on what we think is convenient, what we think is easy, perhaps what is profitable to us. Now, in our sinfulness, we twist and distort the truth of God because of our rebellion against Him. You know, we tend to believe what we want to believe. And that sort, sort of shapes our lives. And so eventually we come to this understanding, we build up this posture where it becomes, where we, we feel like, you know, we cannot trust authority. We are anti-authority. You know, or we are skeptical of authority because we want to live in control of our own lives. We want to decide what we want. You know, funny story to this, I um, grew up in Malaysia. And uh, in my mind, I was convinced that we have the worst drivers in the world. We have the worst traffic in the world and the worst drivers in the world. And I always believe that if you can survive driving in Malaysia, you can drive anywhere else in the world. And so, and the reason why I, I say this is not because we don't have laws that governs how we drive. But the fact that for many Malaysians, these laws are merely suggestions, okay? So they are there, but they are suggestions. You know, we, it, it's subjective to our own interpretation. You know, if there's a traffic jam, which is pretty common, no worries. Let's create two more lanes on the shoulders where we can drive, Right? And of course, this is, this is the best. If there's an ambulance that comes through, right, you're supposed to move aside. But guess what? All the drivers would drive behind the ambulance so that they can go to their location as fast as possible. So tailgating is, is pretty common, right? And then, of course, if you get caught in any way, the best solution to it is to bribe your way out of it. So there you go. You know, we, and I say this because I feel like this is a trivial example, but I think it speaks a lot to us in how we, as sinful human beings, are often creative in finding solutions out of all our problems, finding solutions to undermine authority, finding solutions to sin. You know, God has given His truth in this world, but for many people, we don't want it. We'd rather live by our own wisdom and ability, and this is what happened to King Ahab in our story. We've been spending a lot of time talking about him in the past few chapters because he is an important figure in the kingship of Israel. He's important because he shows how corrupt and detestable the kingship of Israel has been since the death of David, how the kingship has been divided, how, you know, one evil king after another was raised up. But yet, I think there's also another important lesson that the Bible wants to teach us through the story of King Ahab. 
is the lesson about the foolishness of one who thinks he can live without God and his truth. Now, such a person will ultimately end up destroying his own life, as we see in the death of Ahab in this passage. And so as we look at this, this passage, I want to share three brief points with you. First, you know, we look at Ahab as one who lives uh, deprived of God's wisdom. And then we also see Ahab living as one in defiance of God's truth. And finally, we see Ahab living in delusion of God's power. And so, so let's talk about it, each point, living deprived of God's wisdom. You know, the passage begins with one of Ahab's sin coming back to haunt him. Now, why do I say that? Because to understand the beginning of, of this chapter, we have to go back to 1 Kings 20, when Ahab defeated the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, who deserves to die because he was a sworn enemy of the God of Israel. But Ahab disobeyed God. He let him go and made a treaty with him because it was profitable to Ahab. So he made a treaty with Ben-Hadad, agreed to who agreed to return all the cities he captured from the Israelites. And as we learn from our passage, three years have passed where there was peace between Israel and Syria. But unfortunately, Ben-Hadad had not kept his promise to Ahab. This prompted Jehoshaphat to confront Ahab about this. And a little backstory about Jehoshaphat, since he's also an important figure in this story. You know, he's the king of Judah. So as you see, Israel and Judah are now separated. So you got Ahab as the king of, of Israel and Judah, and Jehoshaphat as the king of Judah. And Jehoshaphat is considered one of the few good kings that follow God. But he's not perfect, as we read later in this chapter, because he did not fully remove all the idols places during his reign. And moreover, he also made some questionable decisions in his life, such as allowing his son to be married to Ahab's daughter, and becoming an ally to Ahab in his quest to reclaim Ramoth Gilead, the city that Ahab wanted back from Ben-Hadad. And as Jehoshaphat urged Ahab to reclaim the city, it didn't take much to convince Ahab to do so. You know, think about it. Ahab was already coveting over all kinds of things. You remember a few chapters ago, you know, Ahab was coveting the, the vineyard of Naboth. And so, now, when the city of Ramoth Gilead is there for the taking again, although it belongs to them in the beginning, but yet he saw it and he wanted it because Ramoth Gilead is a city that brings a lot of economic wealth. And so he wanted it. It didn't take a lot to convince him to go and take it. But yet seeing the man that Ahab is, you know, when once a, an idea is planted in his head, this man who does, not rec who does not have any desire to worship, to follow God's truth, immediately he acted upon it without consulting God or anyone. You know, perhaps he was too confident of his own ability or his own recent military success that if he could do it then, he could do it now. And so here's a sobering thought when you think about the life of Ahab. If you seek to destroy your life, here's one way to do it. 
Don't consult anyone of your plan. Don't consult God. Don't consult anyone. Listen only to yourself. Tell yourself, you can do it. You've got it. Do whatever your heart is content. This is how you destroy your life. And thankfully, Jehoshaphat, who is a man of God, had some senses and put the brakes on Ahab's plan. He said, hold on a minute. Let's not get carried away. Let's not go too fast on this. Let's hear from God first. And, and so Ahab summoned 400 prophets together to inquire from the Lord. You know, one may wonder how in the world did Ahab come up with 400 prophets when in the previous chapters he had been killing prophets of God. But yet we know from, from later on that these 400 prophets are not true prophets of God. They are false prophets. You know, they're merely yes men to Ahab. Now you see, a person of influence like Ahab would not have a problem in finding people who would agree with him, who would speak positively to his plans and agree to everything he said. You know, they say to him, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And then later we see one of the, the 400 prophets, you know, one of, one of the, the prophets, Perhaps a leader, Zedekiah, even went as far as to confirm Ahab's success with this visual aid, this sort of a PowerPoint presentation in their time, right? So Zedekiah, with the use of the horn of iron, declares symbolically what Ahab will do to the Syrians. And this, if you think about it, this is a remarkable um, prophecy that Zedekiah just pronounced on Ahab because this was taken out of Deuteronomy 33 when God told Moses to bless the tribe of jo Joseph and told the tribe of Joseph that they are like the bull. They are like the bull who will, um, who will have the horn of a bull to go, go out all the enemies of God. And so what happens is you see Zedekiah taking this prophecy that God, this blessing that God has given to the tribe of Joseph and applied it to Ahab. What is he doing here? He's twisting the word of God's truth to apply it to a context that is completely different. And you see what he does, what Zedekiah does, is not any different today from what we see among Christians, among pastors, preachers who seek to apply certain truths of God to further their own agenda. You know, we see how Bible passages and truths are being misquoted, taken out of context so that we think that we're hearing from God or we think that we have God's approval to do what we want. This happens all the time. And this is dangerous. You know, one pastor said, if you try to twist or tame the truth of God, you only end up telling lies. God's truth cannot be twisted or tamed. It is unalterable. But Ahab doesn't see the lies in it because he does not have the wisdom of God. He does not know God's truth. And the fact that he was surrounded by 400 yes men or perhaps even more who would only agree with him, telling him what he wants to hear, complicates it even more. And this is yet another way to destroy your life. Now, if you want to destroy your life, 
surround yourselves with people who's not going to disagree with you, people who's going to tell you what you want to hear, people who's going to, you know, um, follow your direction, people who's going to speak positively to any plans that you, you desire, sinful or not. And so here's a sobering thought again. Don't just surround yourselves with like-minded people, people who would say yes to everything that you do, people who would only agree with you because they don't always tell you the truth. You know, if you have children, sorry, if you know if you have children, your children will probably know that, that you are not their yes man, right? Because you often do not give them what they want. You tell them the truth. You correct them. And that is who we are called to, to do, to correct. And as, as someone who is followed by people, we don't want to surround ourselves with, with like-minded people all the time. And, but, but sadly, this is where our culture is heading today. And our culture has become so divisive over the last few years, perhaps even more, that we're being told that you cannot be friends with people who disagree with you. And I refuse to believe that. We're being told that, that, you know, we cannot mix with people who disagree with us. In fact, we're called to demonize them, to see them as enemies. We see this in the realm of politics. We see this in, in churches, perhaps, too, where we surround ourselves with people who, who think like us theologically. And if we can't find that, we move to another church that agrees with us. Don't fall into this trap, my friends. Don't surround yourselves only with like-minded people. You need others to keep you accountable, to help you see the truth of God at times, to correct you, to discipline you. And secondly, we see Ahab as one who live in defiance of God's truth. You know, Ahab must have thought that Jeho Jehoshaphat was impressed and convinced by the confirmation of 400 prophets with their enthusiastic presentation. You know, however, that wasn't the case. Jehoshaphat was more interested to hear from God. He's more interested to hear from what God has to say. And he found the proclamation to be a little too good to be true. So he asked Ahab if there was another person, another prophet of the Lord they can inquire. And Ahab reluctantly said, Yes, there's another guy, you know. There's another one, but he's terrible because he doesn't speak anything good about me. He's so terrible. And despite of Ahab's reluctance, you know, he summoned for Micaiah to give his opinion of the matter. Now, I love the interaction that comes after this, you know. Before Micaiah appeared before the kings, right, he was forewarned by the messenger. The messenger told him, Hey, man, everyone is in accord. Everyone has agreed that we should go. Don't screw this up. You better be a team player and agree to it. And then when Micaiah showed up before Ahab and Jehoshaphat, he was asked for his opinion. And with a slight hint of sarcasm, he said, go up and try him. The Lord will be, give you give into the hand of the king. But instinctively, Ahab knew that this wasn't true, right? He he somehow knew that Micaiah, who, who hates him, does never spoke anything good about him, now agrees with him. No way. 
Now he asked, he pressed Micaiah for the truth. Tell me the truth. But the question is, can Ahab handle the truth? And Micaiah said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no masters. Let each return to his home in peace. What this prophecy meant was Ahab will not succeed. And not only that, he will be killed. These sheep will not have a shepherd, will not have a master. And furthermore, Micaiah said later that a lying spirit has been laid in the mouth of the prophets so that they would entice Ahab to take the bait to go. And what was Ahab's response upon hearing the truth of God? He wanted the truth, right? And so now the truth has been presented to him. What was his response? He was indignant. He said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that this guy is trouble? He said nothing good about me. Only evil things. So you see, Ahab cannot handle the truth of God. He wanted truth, but yet he couldn't handle it. And this is deeply troubling. I want you to see this. Because, and, and, and this is troubling and serious because Ahab didn't just choose to accept poor advice from his yes-men. He chose to ignore and defy God's truth completely when it was presented to him. He wanted truth. And when truth was presented, he rejected truth. You know, Phil Riken said Ahab had no interest in the truth. He just wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. If truth was something he did not want to hear, then he hated the truth. So this is what we see in the corruption and sinfulness of men. And a lot of times we ask for, where is the evidence? Where is the truth? Are we really interested in truth? Because we are not. You know, the problem is not that there's no truth. There's no evidence. It's the fact that sinful men with their corrupted heart are not able to respond to the truth. They will always hate the truth, even when it's presented to them. You know, the corruption of sinful hearts hates the truth of God, as Ahab shows us. And this is how Jesus confirms it too. Later in John 3, 19 to 20, you know, Jesus says the light has come into the world. He was referring to himself. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. I know some of you love hiking. Some of you love to go to the woods. And some of your children too, perhaps. But, you know, every time whenever you turn a log over, what do you see? You see bugs. What do they do? They scatter. They run away from the light. Right? Because they hate darkness. And they hate the light, sorry. And so when you turn it over, you see bugs scattering all around. They're running away. They're trying to hide. They're trying to find some, somewhere else that they can hide from the light. And that is who sinful men are. That's who we are. That's a sad reality for all who think they can live without God, live without his truth. Those who hate the truth, they run away from God. They run away from the truth. They want to hide from God. And like Ahab, most people fail to see and understand that God's truth 
was revealed for their good. Literally. You will die if you go, Ahab. How much more clear can that be? But most people see God's truth as restriction for their lives because they want to live however they want. And so you can deceive yourself for a moment with that kind of thinking, but eventually it will end up in your demise, just as we learn of Ahab's faith. So think about the futility of Ahab's plan because of his rejection of God's truth. I want to quickly also emphasize the important lesson we can learn from Micaiah who stood for God's truth. You know, Micaiah and, and Ahab stood in polar opposites. For Ahab was given the truth but hated it. Micaiah stood for truth and suffered for it. He was under tremendous pressure to speak before Ahab since everyone favored his plan. Now what would he do then? Succumb to the pressure and tell Ahab what he wants to hear? Absolutely not. He said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Let this be a lesson to us, a reminder to us, as we seek to live in this world, as we learn to navigate this world. Micaiah inspire, inspires us to speak God's truth, to call out sin at all times, in all situations. You know, our world will pressure us to give in, to twist the truth of God, to soften the sting of his word for the sake of fitting in or for the sake of being accepted. We will face these pressures in schools, in colleges, in our workplace, and perhaps sometimes even in the church. But as we know that God's truth can be a fragrance to some, but for others, it is despicable. It is an offense. And so when we speak out, on sexual morality, on racism, and partiality, on abortion, on greed, on coveting, on any sin, we're going to get pushback. We're going to get pushback from a lot of people. But we must stand firm and not cower away. Why? Because the Bible speaks against sin. But obviously, speaking the truth doesn't only encourage us to just to call out sin, but it also calls us to speak the hope of salvation, the hope of the gospel of salvation to all people. It isn't enough just to call out sin. We must also speak truth in offering the gospel of hope to people. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say that this is going to be easy, you know, as you read this passage, after Micaiah spoke the truth, he was beaten and thrown in prison where he was treated poorly. And this is often the reality for those who stood for God's truth. In the pressure, sometimes we will be rejected by our friends. Sometimes we may lose our job. Sometimes we may be ostracized by our family. We may be persecuted. And we may even lose our lives. Now, we have people from the past and in the present, godly men and women who have suffered greatly for the sake of speaking truth, for the sake of speaking God's truth. And 
But yet, you know, these people have reminded us that despite of the pressure that comes, we must stand firm. We must look to God to help us. We must lean on His promises because we know that God's truth is important. It is what guides us as believers. Without His truth, we are nothing. Without His truth, we are like headless chickens, you know, trying to run around in this world. But yet we must look to them as inspiration and guidance and also look to the Bible, look to the promises of God and rest on it to find the courage to speak truth at all times. Finally, we look at our last point, you know, as Ahab has shown us what it's like, you know, living without God's truth, right? It's someone who, what, basically lives, you know, in, in defiance of God's truth, someone who lives without the wisdom of God. But now we also see Ahab living with this sense of delusion of God's power. You know, God will always have the last say. His truth will always come true despite of how much we hated it or tried to suppress it or try to ignore it. You know, Ahab, upon hearing God's truth, hated it, right? And what did he do? He went ahead with his plan to wage war with Ben-Hadad, despite the truth of God warning against him. You know, as, as we look at this passage, there's a sense that we see how cunning and, and, and smart Ahab is too, right? Because he tries to cover his bases. You know, he, he did not believe the truth that came out of Micaiah, but at the same time, perhaps he was questioning, okay, well, if that's going to happen, maybe I should be smart enough to cover all my bases, right? I should be smart to have contingency plan, to plan ahead. And that's what he did. So instead of going to the battle dressed up as a king, Ahab decided to dress as an ordinary soldier and told Jehoshaphat, hey, you dress as king, okay? You do that so that the Syrians will see that there's only one king, and then you are me, right? And so here's something baffling. Here's something that, that is just crazy. Jehoshaphat, being the man of God as he is, does not question Ahab's plan and went along with it. You know, after hearing Micaiah's prophecy and warning, Jehoshaphat decided to join force with Ahab? Seriously, what is going on here? And not only that, Jehoshaphat agreed to be bait for Ahab. You know, Ahab told him, you dress as king. And if they, so that, you know, they will only see one king. And they would think that, that you are me. And Ahab does not question that plan and went along. I mean, what was he thinking? Well, I don't have an answer for that. Okay? Except that, that I think this reminds us, as, as, even as Christians, sometimes, you know, we may do foolish things. We may, we may do questionable things in our lives. We may fall short. We have weaknesses. And as we see the naivety of, of Jehoshaphat, we also see the craftiness of Ahab. And I say, as I mentioned earlier, you can never underestimate the foolishness of sinful men who try every creative way to undermine God's authority and the law of God. So Ahab thought he was smart. Well, he is smart. You know, he was able to trick Jehoshaphat into following his plan. And later we see that his trick worked. 
he was able to trick the Syrians into thinking that Jehoshaphat was Ahab. But as successful as he was in tricking these people, yet he was not smarter than God. Ahab thought he could outthink and outsmart God in his scheme. He could outran God. But God knew better. Now sometimes we have this delusion in our mind thinking that we can hide from God. We can, you know, outsmart God, outthink God in, in his plan. But yet we are underestimating his power. We are underestimating who God is. It is always impossible and futile to outthink and outsmart God. The plan may seem like a success, but yet, ultimately, God has the final say. God, in his sovereignty and power, worked through the arrow of a certain man to fulfill his word. You know, the man may be shooting randomly, right? He's not Legolas, sorry to say. He was just shooting randomly. But guess what? God was directing that arrow. You know, the fact that, that this man was shooting randomly, but given the fact that, that the writing is on the wall regarding Ahab's demise, you know, because three times now, if you look at the passages before, three times now God has told him that you will die if you do not follow me. You will die for, for doing these despicable things. And so it is clear that despite of, of the randomness of this arrow, God guides the arrow so that it reaches the intended target in Ahab to fulfill his word. You know, I love how Phil Riken puts it in his, in his sermon when he preached on this passage. He said, the arrow of divine judgment will always find its mark. You cannot avoid it. You cannot outrun it. And if you love baseball, it's Three strikes for Ahab. You know, three times he was told he would die, but yet he remained adamant to live his way and do what pleases him. And so finally, he struck out. The knockout blow came for him. And what does this teach us? Well, while God may be patient with our sins and our rebellion, eventually our sins will always come back to haunt us. You know, God's justice cannot be avoided or dodged, no matter how smart we think we are. There's no running or escaping from him. So what should we do? Should we keep running? Should we keep ignoring God? No. I believe that this passage is calling us to respond to God. You know, it's calling us to respond in repentance and turn to God. You know, God came to Ahab three times to tell him that he will die for his sins. Why would he warn Ahab? If you think about it. Why would he tell him he will die? Why would he warn him in the first place? What does warning do for us? It warns us to be careful, right? To, to think about what we're doing. It is God's grace that he came to Ahab three times to warn him. You know, God in his grace... And love does not desire for anyone to perish, as the Bible says, but for all to reach repentance. God came to him, reminded him three times. Don't screw up your life. You know, look to me. 
But yet Ahab refuses. Ahab did whatever he wants. You know, perhaps like Ahab, God may be dropping hints in your life, you know, exposing your sin. Don't ignore it like Ahab. Don't just ignore it. Don't just seek bad advice from yes man. Turn to God in repentance instead. You know, God's truth exposes our sin and declares the consequences for it. But in doing so, it also brings an opportunity for us to respond to him in repentance so that there's forgiveness, transformation, and renewed joy in the Lord. Now, Jesus is able to forgive your sins no matter how big or serious they are. And you ask that question, how is that possible? Well, because on the cross, Jesus took the full measure of God's wrath against our sin. And the Bible said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have each turned to our own way. But the Lord, what did the Lord do? The Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Now, Jesus took the greatest consequence of our sin, which is death, by suffering and dying for us. And in return, what do we get? We get his righteousness. We get the forgiveness from God. And this is the beauty of the gospel that is laid out for all sinners, even for someone like Ahab. That's why God warns him three times. God told him over and over again, you will die for your sin. And perhaps God is telling us this too, maybe not in that extreme, but God may be tugging our hearts and warning us of our sins, warning us of, of the direction that we're heading, the things that we're doing. Perhaps God is calling you as well, and the Spirit's working in your heart. Don't just ignore it. Don't just find a company of like-minded people that's going to tell you, forget it. Turn to God. And then lastly, we see also another aspect of this good news that comes especially for those who suffer because they were standing firm in the truth of God. We see Micaiah, who suffered for speaking the truth, was vindicated by God ultimately. Remember he said in the passage to Ahab, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken to me. No, Ahab did not return in peace. He was killed. So that's affirmed the truth of God who spoke to Micaiah. Micaiah then is a true prophet. The people saw it because Ahab did not return in peace. Ahab died. And so the fact that God's justice is unavoidable is good news as well to many of us who may suffer or who are persecuted for our faith because we know that ultimately God will vindicate our suffering. Now God hears our cries. He sees your pain, your suffering. You know, you may be at the wrong end of justice, right? You may be at the wrong end of a crime, sorry. Or you may have suffered because you were speaking for God. You don't know, you don't know what is going to happen but this passage reminds us that, that God's justice is unavoidable for those who are wicked. He knows that our suffering is momentary because he has begun the work of redemption for us through Christ. And so as we suffer, as we wait, we know that God has not left us alone because why? Jesus will return to judge with equity, with fairness. He will come to right all the wrongs of this world. And so for, for the wicked Ahab, you think about it, he not only suffered death, 
but he will also suffer the judgment of God. And perhaps this may not happen to all the wicked people of this world, right? Because sometimes we do see wickedness prospering on this earth. But make no mistake, they will suffer the judgment of God. And so then if we, if we think about what is happening when Jesus returns, how do we again respond? For the one hand, for those of us who suffered at the hands of persecution of injustice, we look to God with confidence. We rest in God. And for the others who refuse to trust God, for the persecutors, for those who, who dwell in wickedness, this is again a warning to us. Turn to God in repentance. Look to his truth. Look to him. Otherwise, we will end up destroying our lives like Ahab. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity this morning to be reminded of what it's like for, for those who refuse to follow God, those who refuse to live under the authority of God, those who choose us to live on their own, do things that their hearts desire. Lord, I pray that you remind us that even as believers, sometimes we forget these truths. Sometimes we rebel against you and desire to, to do the things that we want. And there are times too that we twist the truth of God for the sake of our own agenda. I pray that you help us, Lord, that you forgive us through Christ as we turn to you, as we look to you now. Forgive us. I pray too for those who perhaps, you know, may not have known you, may not know you. For those who are feeling the tugging of the Spirit in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would speak truth in their lives right now, that you will remind them of your love and your care for them, that you do not desire for anyone to perish, that you desire life. And so I pray that you will cause them to turn to you in repentance so that they will receive the forgiveness of Christ, the forgiveness of God, and that they will be renewed in their joy. I thank you for Christ and what he has done for us, for we who suffer, we who um, are at the hands of injustice, understand still that ultimately that Jesus will return to right all the wrongs of this world, that he will vindicate those who are his. He will put an end to all unrighteousness and wickedness in this world, and all corruption. And so we pray and we wait with patience, Lord. We cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come for you to make all things right for us as we rest in you. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.